river's full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. I can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. Backquest Podcast. James Orr here. We got Bob Borland, and tonight we are joined by a couple of our bow hunting brothers from the north. Who do we got on here tonight, Bob? Uh, we got Paul Ford, Mike Harris. Hey guys, thanks for thanks for having us on. Awesome, we're excited yeah, to uh, talk us. a little bit about Alaska tonight. Uh, why don't uh, Why don't you open us up tonight and tell us, uh, Paul? Why don't you tell us what's uh, Alaska looking like and if any of those uh, Kodiak deer are going to make it through the season this year, how's the how's the winter treating you guys? <laughs> well, um, you know, as a as a passionate skier, the uh, winter has been awesome this year. Uh, we've been having a lot of snow, cold temperatures. I've been out skiing almost every day that I'm not working, and uh, and a lot of days that I am working, and it's been great. Um, as far as the effects that's going to have on animals, I think for uh, Kodiak, I haven't heard from anyone on the ground there, but I keep an eye on the aviation cameras like in various parts of the Island because they're real time cameras that show, you know, the, the you know current conditions. And I have not seen a lot of snow accumulation down there recently. And so, and my understanding is I'm no biologist, but my understanding is that the snow more than the cold temps that really affects them. So, from what I'm seeing, I'm optimistic that we're, at least as of now, you know, we're still in that recovery phase. You know, a lot could change between now and uh, now and summer, but I'm optimistic that we'll, you know, it's still getting incrementally a little better since that big die-off we had down there. Well, that sounds like some good news. Uh, what about uh, in your uh, part of the world, what are you seeing, Mike? Well, I'm I'm not far from Paul, so um and I guess he's got way more experience on like, you know, Kodiak and all that deer hunting than I do, but uh yes, it's been a weird winter. We've we've had uh really cold temperatures in November, December, which is, you know, a lot colder than normal and then and then it got real warm and got cold again and uh lots and lots of snow. So, um, yeah, it's just, you know, for me, it's, it's different. I haven't lived here near as long as Paul though either. So, uh, but yeah, it's definitely a little bit of an anomaly this year for me. Awesome. Yeah. Well, we all guys talking about it. Go ahead. We keep talking about down here, how this is how it always used to be. Yeah. This feels like a, like an old time winter. Lots of snow, snow at sea level, nice cold temperatures. Yeah, that sounds, uh, besides the kind of warm weather we've had the last couple of weeks, the fall sure started off as what I was calling old school Oregon with just torrential downpours. Um, so that uh, hopefully is going to, uh, that trend will continue and we'll have a uh, a good wet spring and, and and a mild summer and have a good fall this year. Um, why don't we talk a little bit of bow hunting? Have you guys been able to shoot your bows much? And what are you guys looking forward to? I know Mike uh, 
you hunted the muskox. Maybe tell us a little bit about uh, your adventures in muskox country and and uh, whatnot. Yeah, so I guess well, I, I really I started the year off by by shooting a, a black bear, and you know that, that wasn't you know wasn't much of a story to that, but uh, um, yeah, I I drew that Nunavak tag the year after my father-in-law drew it and I went with him the year prior. So uh, I, I don't know if of anybody that's really probably ever gone two years in a row, but uh, that was a real treat. And uh, I went by myself with my dog this time and uh, yeah, I was able to get a musk ox and then do some waterfowl hunting while I was there. And it was pretty great shot a young bull and tastes real good yeah you're saying that those eat similar to beef but even better like kind of like a tundra beef cow type of type of uh yeah cable fare yeah i you know it's i i guess as far as wild game goes the only the only doll sheep i've ever I've ever ate was in like hot dog form. So I can't really, I've heard sheep is so good, but it's kind of hard to, uh, you know, hard to quantify when that's all you've eaten from a sheep. So, but, uh, my favorites are, you know, uh, up, you know, moose and black tailed deer and, uh, elk. Those are kind of in the, in the top tier, but muskox is boy, it's, it's probably right up there with moose for me. I mean, it's different than moose, but it's, it's good. It's, it's marbled like right. beef. Like when you cut the steaks, it's, it's marbled. Who would make a hot uh, how dog? Much? Who would make a hot dog out of a doll sheep? That just sounds, that doesn't sound right. <laughs> that wasn't you, was it, Paul? No, it's not me. No, okay. I've never done that. <laughs> Sorry, I had to say something. <laughs> Uh, how, how much uh, how much meat did you get off that young bull? Oh man, I'm trying to think. I you know I we waited at the airport and everything. Um, I can't remember off the top of my head. It, it was quite a bit. They're they're super dense, you know, super stocky, and it definitely wasn't as much as the one my father in law shot the year before. He shot a really big old bull. Um, and, but still, it's a it's a lot of meat, you know. Probably, I don't know. Probably not 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 as much as a mature bull elk, but um, pretty okay. pretty pretty you know pretty good amount of meat. Cool, cool. Are they pretty fun to hunt? Or yeah, I, you know, I've never done. A lot of people do the winter hunt. That's kind of uh, the popular thing. Uh, you know, they'll go out there at least you know, on Nunavak Island, they'll go out, uh, with the transporters or there, there's one registered guide on the Island, but mostly it's transporters. And basically the way that works is they'll go out on a snow machine and it's the hunter's responsibility to spot the game. Um, and then, you know, the transporters get them up there and, you know, they'll get them up there and you'll get off the snow machine and approach them. And if they run off, you get back on the snow machines, you try and get back to them. And, and that, that's, you know, not everybody hunts them that way in the winter, but that's the most popular. And you just 
you basically wait till they get tired of running and they circle up and you walk up to the edge of them and wait to try and get a shot at one, which can be challenging because they, you know, they position themselves facing out and then there's other animals to worry about, you know, you don't, you don't want to hit the wrong one or hit two or something like that. But the fall hunt is, yeah, right. (laughs) But but yeah, the, the fall hunt is, uh, uh, more of a spot and stock game and they're, they're more spread out and, uh, the, the season starts at the beginning of August. Now it used to start at the beginning of September. This year I went at the beginning of September and, um, they're, they're kind of starting to rut. There's, you know, the bulls are searching out cows and, um, they're kind of, you know, starting to group up a little bit, uh, in September, but I, uh, I, I was, I spotted two of them. There's a bull and a cow together and I put the sneak on them. And, um, I, I, in fact, I, I didn't even know what was a bull and what was a cow until I was 30 yards away. Cause I just, I saw muskox and I just went into hunt mode and then I got close and was able to see one was a cow and one was a bull and turn my attention to the bull. Um, did you make any modifications to your archery tackle for this hunt? Cause I know that, uh, you're, you, you shoot a hill style bow and I know that you're known for shooting a pretty heavy arrow. Um, maybe tell us a little bit about your equipment and if you've made any changes for this hunt or just went with the standard equipment that you normally shoot. Uh, yeah, I never, I don't know. <laughs> I just, I, I, I seem to always be like tuning arrows last minute and, uh, whatever seems to be flying straight at the time I take. Um, and I've got, you know, I've got different, a bunch of different spine Sherwood shafts and different weight broadheads and woody weights and all kinds of stuff. And I just kind of throw stuff together. I've, I've kind of started scaling the weight down from what, it, you know, I've shot arrows up to 850 grains and they've worked well, but man, they, they kind of, <laughs> they kind of lob out there, you know, after about 20 yards. So, um, I kind of started scaling back, but really it's, it's still more importantly to me, what's, what's flying good. And, uh, I, so I, I guess I didn't really change anything, um, from the norm, which is just throwing things together last minute to see what, what works. And I ended up shooting, uh, oh, it was, uh, yeah, it was, you know, the standard wood arrows, you know, from Sherwood shafts with uh 300 grain tough heads and my arrow was right around 300 or i mean uh sorry uh 730 grains that do wow 730 grains with a 300 grain must be shooting a pretty light light woody yeah, I, I suppose. I mean, I, I mean, they're. I cut them short though. They're they're yeah. about twenty seven inches to the back of point, so huh. I'm cutting quite a bit off of them. Um, and what I spine? I can't are you remember. Like a a seven, seventy, seventy five. 
Uh, I think those were 70, 75s. Yeah. Huh. Happy. Awesome. Interesting. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. cool that you're yeah, you I got got a, meat in the freezer. Yeah. I got a, got a pass through, uh, just it hung up on the fletching, you know, on the, on the offside, but the arrow came out while it was running, came and went the rest of the way through, went through a rib on the entry and rib on the exit. So. And so you guys are allowed to hunt, um, uh, with your dog. You guys can hunt big game with your dog, like as a companion. Yeah. So I don't know what, I, I guess I'd have to look at the, the rules for you guys. Um, but a lot of people up here, even or in a lot of States, they think, you know, that, uh, they read the regulations that you cannot hunt big game with the dog and they automatically think, Oh man, you know, you can't have a do- you can't have a dog with you. Well, it's kind of like the difference between use and possession in, in legal terminology. Um, just because you have a dog with you doesn't, you doesn't mean it's being used in the pursuit of big game. Um, and you can use a dog up in Alaska. I'm not sure about Oregon or, you know, but a lot of States now you can use a dog, uh, to recover wounded big game, um, on, in, in Alaska, they've got to be on a lead. Um, and they can, they can track the, uh, the wounded game for you. And it'd be kind of hard to do that if you weren't allowed to bring them with you on a remote hunt, you know? <laughs> um, and, uh, so yeah, you can, you can have them with you. Um, there, you just can't use them for big game anyway. It's, it's different for small game and things like that, but for big game, you cannot use a dog to, to actually, assist you in the initial pursuit um except for you can get a permit to use dogs on on black bears um but uh other than that yeah they they're they're used for recovery which really is is kind of handy because you know for for me i shoot it i shoot something and i've got my dog right there and i can use him uh to track and then also if i come across grouse or ptarmigan or or something else, you know, while I'm hunting and get the, get the old blunt out and shoot it. And I've got a, I've got a dog for that too. And I was hunting deer, uh, year before last and I shot a, a grouse out of a tree. Um, my dog was about 40 yards away from me. And I, you know, I, I put him there cause I was stalking this grouse and I shot it with a rubber blunt and hit it really solid. And that grouse flew, through the woods, out of sight, gone. And uh, I couldn't believe it because I hit it really solid with that blunt. And I called the dog over and sent him on a search and it took him about five minutes. And I've got a GPS collar on him. And uh, I could see he was out there at about 80 yards. And he came back with that grouse. So if mm, I didn't have him with awesome. me, I wouldn't have got that grouse. <laughs> so I think you already answered my next question. So you just put them in a down stay when you go to stalk an animal. Yep. Yep. And, and depending on what, you know, what the situation is, will determine how, how far I bring him along with me on those muskox. I, I had him pretty close. Um, we we're in some tall grass and I snuck up to the edge. I had him kind of right behind me and by the time I, I shot that muskox, I had circled around it. So the, the muskox was pretty much in between me and where I had my dog. And 
and he was being naughty. He stood up and poked his head out. I could I could see his head poking out of the grass, watching. But uh, I shot that muskox, and that muskox probably ran within ten feet of him uh, after I'd shot it. And I don't think the muskox ever knew he was there, but um, you know, obviously he, he didn't. Otherwise, he probably wouldn't have ran that way. But <laughs> he ran right by him, and uh, I wasn't prepared. I kind of it was kind of a last minute evening uh, hunt, and I didn't I didn't really think I was gonna. Uh, I, I was definitely not expecting to shoot something. I, I was more expecting just to kind of go out and glass and maybe figure something out for the next morning. So I didn't bring the stuff that I would usually bring, including my tracking lead for the dog. So he, you know, I shot that muskox and he, he went up over a little hole, uh, a little hill with tall grass and disappeared. The cow ran a different direction. And I could see her way off, but I, I was hoping to see the bull go down and I didn't. So I, I wasn't quite sure how far he went or where he went in that tall grass. And I was trying to think of how, how do I use my dog? Cause legally I can't put, you know, uh, let him track off lead. And even if I did, how am I going to, you know, how am I going to follow him? Cause the dog's going to be gone, you know, in a flash on that track. So I thought about it for a while and I ended up unstringing my bow and using my bow string as a lead <laughs> tying to his collar. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, yeah. He, he tracked the muskox. It was about 60 yards away and it was, but it was one of those deals where the grass was so tall. You had to be almost right on top of it to see it, but yeah, it Very worked cool. out. Yeah. I've been enjoying, uh, following you on Instagram with your dog. You guys, uh, look like you make a great team. Yeah, it's fun. I've got two now. I've got a, a young pup that's just coming up. So it's always an adventure. Very cool. Very cool. And then I, are we all caught up on your hunting seasons, Paul, from the last podcast we did with you or, or, Oh, I don't remember when we last Megan, talked, if we Megan, have or not. I had a couple questions. For Megan. <laughs> so, well, okay. Hey, before anything, I want to congratulate Mike on an awesome muskox hunt. That sounds really cool. That's pretty yeah, impressive. Very cool. Well, Paul was off. I was off uh, doing the things I dream of. I, I still never killed a bull moose or any moose for that matter with my bow. And uh, I was on a 12 day float hunt and uh, flying out uh, from that hunt. And I finally, you know, turned my phone on as we're getting close to Anchorage. And, you know, of course, all the texts start pouring in. And there's uh, one from Paul's inReach asking me to come help recover a bull moose with my dog from you know days prior he sent it to me uh, yeah yeah and uh, moose is in the moose ended up in the freezer <laughs> that's good that's good uh it looked pretty cold on kodiak those pictures you sent me yeah every hunt i did this year was probably the coldest and snowiest hunt and aside from that Kodiak one, honestly, I froze my butt off on every hunt I did this year because I did uh, I did a sheep hunt or two sheep hunts, one one for me, one for my buddy, and then 
uh, moose hunt by myself and then deer hunt by myself. And the deer hunt, I was, I had the Arctic oven tent and a heater. So at least at night I was warm, but I was, it was a cold, wet hunting season up here for me. <laughs> Very cold, what, wet. What were you wearing? It looked like you're wearing just like a visqueen sh- shirt over your <laughs> shirt. On those yeah. So, um, well, on my sheep hunt, I, I was, you know, I, I hunted sheep in August this year and I was expecting to have a, you know, a typical kind of, or more typical in my mind, August experience of, and I often don't bring, I've kind of stopped bringing whites. I don't think they're really that great in the non-snowy environment for the kind of ranges. I think there's times when they work okay, but in my experience, they're not worth carrying around your pack. So, and then I was sheep hunting for like the second week of my hunt. I was, I hunted sheep my first time was about 16 or 17 days and like second half of it was in deep snow and I wasn't prepared for it gear wise, sleeping bag wise. I mean, that was all, I was fine. I was safe, but it was, it was chilly and I didn't have anything white. And so when I was walking around, I was just really standing out if I was in, in any way visible. And so after that, when I went, when my buddy sheep hunt, I saw the forecast and it looked like rain. I felt that it was probably end up being snow where we were. So I grabbed this, uh, windbreaker. It's, uh, it's like, it's kind of thing you wear. Like when you go running all the time, it's real light, like weighs like three or four ounce breathable windbreaker uh, that I wear, you know, for all kinds of stuff all year. And I happen to have a white one. So I thought, I'll just put that over top of whatever else I'm wearing. But <laughs> it turns out when it's, like really wet, wet, rainish snow. It just soaks through and just, yeah, like you said, looks like you're wearing some kind of see-through shirt. <laughs> it's like a wet t-shirt contest out there. <laughs> oh, man. You're nuts. I love it. It, it, was a, it was a great season, though. It was the best sheep. Even though I didn't kill a sheep, I was the best sheep hunt I think I've ever had. And, uh, and then the second part of it, when I got to go out with my buddy, you know, huge props to him. He is he's never bow hunted before. He hadn't hunted period in 15, 20 years. You know, he shot a couple of mule deer growing up in Idaho. And, uh, he drew the Klutna Chugach, uh, archery sheep hunt. And, uh, I'd gotten him into archery and he'd bought himself a, at my suggestion, a Tolkien, uh, Whistler, very similar to mine. And he was shooting it as kind of his, just like for fun, just, you know, sh- shooting bows as a fun thing to do. And he got that tag and I couldn't believe it. And I was like, well, your first bow hunt ever is going to be out of a lifetime for a doll sheep. <laughs> and uh, his credit, I mean, he practiced every day all summer and he got pretty decent. And, uh, he's a real, he's a super competent mountain guy. Like he's guided mountain stuff and all kinds of stuff all over the world. And so that part I knew he'd be fine on, but, um, we found some awesome old rams and we spent five days, the whole longer story than we probably have time for tonight. But anyway, we spent five days trying to get the right situation. And, uh, we, he got 30 yards from a, I, at least 11 year old, I think 12 year old, very awesome, old, heavy ram. And, uh, and his quiver without without harming a sheep. <laughs> <laughs> and said it was the most the guy who's paddled. Yeah, he quivered. He's paddled 
some of the hardest whitewater in the world. He's been buried in an avalanche a couple of times. And he told me that it was the most intense experience of his life. It was a great time. Yeah. It was a really cool experience. It was really cool to see him just like experience all those emotions that, um, that we've all had. <laughs> yeah. Is he ready to go again? Oh yeah. Yeah. He, he's excited to go hunting again for sure. I don't know what this year will bring for him, but, um, but yeah, I think he's, I think he's committed. He's a, he's a lifer now. He gets it. That's awesome, man. That's so cool. Yeah. It's so hard to, you know, people that don't bow hunt like we do to, you just can't explain it, you know, until you've, you've put in the time and you've been there, you know? Yeah. And I mean, I, I think we're going to talk about sheep hunting a little bit later tonight, but it, he had never really hunted sheep, but he'd been around him a lot in the mountains and, he said, Oh man, I see what you mean. Like the rifle hunting. I mean, once you find, once you find a Ram, a- anybody who's even halfway competent in the mountains or even not, you can get rifle range of a Ram. It's not a hard thing to do once you find the legal one. And, uh, I mean, we could have pulled that off in the first afternoon, really, once we found the sheep, but you know, five days later, we're still repositioning for the <laughs> archery hunt. And I mean, and to his, he like, like you guys and like me, he saw that as a good thing, not as a bad thing about archery hunting. He thought that was really yeah. cool. Um, but, uh, I don't know if I had my way, all, all sheep and goat hunting would be archery hunting. <laughs> well, it's it's kind of like the, it's the classic saying that like when the uh, gun hunter, uh, finds the animal, you know, the, the hunt's about over where when we find the, the yeah. animal, the hunt just began. Oh man, it's so true. So. Especially in the mountains where like, I mean, once you, once you're in the same Valley and you see them, like, it's not like deer or moose hunting or elk hunting. I imagine where you can be a half a mile from the target animal for a week and never see it. <laughs> you know, right. you, you, it's not that hard. If, if you're in the area where they are, like, especially a lot of these guys are flying around and seeing them from airplanes before they get their feet on the ground. I mean, I'll probably irritate somebody who hears this, but Man, it's not it's not the same. It's not even remotely the same. <laughs> well, so, awesome. Um, but yes, well, that was and that was a good sheep hunt. And then I, um, Mike mentioned that I uh, arrowed a, a nice bull moose. Thought I was going to lose it, but um, but ended up getting them and had a pretty epic time getting them back to my truck. It took uh, pack wraps and kayaks and the help of that same buddy who had just been sheep hunting with me and some fairly heroic efforts to get all that moose out, but it was, um, really quality meat. And, um, and, uh, and then I got to Kodiak and, uh, got a couple of bucks. Can, can you give us a, uh, I know we have a lot to talk about tonight. Can you give us a quick breakdown on, um, how you went from, uh, you know, you didn't think you were going to recover them. What, what made the difference? Like, how did you, uh, uh, you know, a quick uh, breakdown on that recovery. I, I, I love to learn from people's, you know, you know, uh, experiences when, when those recovery jobs are tough. Yeah. So it was a close shot. It was a, it was like a deflection. It, it kind of came low and, uh, basically it was, uh, not a fatal hit. It was a lot of blood, but it was kind of like, uh, brisket, kind of area like just uh you know didn't get into the vitals that i i should have waited for him to take one more step but i thought he saw me and i um had a good window through the spruce and 
tagged a little branch. I could hear it. It was uh, pretty heartbreaking. And but I had enough blood that I thought that it was it was fatally hit because you know it, it, it turns out they bleed quite a bit from that. And so that's when I sent that inreach message out to Mike. And then uh, then I thought I was really done for because it started just dumped snow all night. And um, so I just laid there shivering in my shelter, just like pretty bummed out about all the snow. But I got on the track the next day, and uh, it just happened. Just I just started doing these massive zigzags through the forest where I was and cut a, cut a good, cut a bull track. And, um, just, you know, it was like the perfect snow track. I've never had gotten a track of moose like that. And well, it's not tr- one other, t- two other times ever in my life when I was a lot younger, I did, but it's been a really long time since I got the track of moose in the snow and it's super cool. It was like really wet snow and super quiet, you know, even where all the leaves had been on the ground. And I just basically walked right up on them. It was super cool. And uh, the very cool, one, you know, zipped right through and stuck in the ground on the other side. <laughs> so, so ultimately, so, uh, fell on his track. You, 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 re- you relied on tracking and you tracked him down. That's that's awesome. I really, honestly, I relied on luck. I mean, I it was pure. If it, if it hadn't snowed, I never would have seen a hair of that moose again. I mean, I'll, full disclosure. I mean, it was that was luck, no question about it. Hey, better luck than good. Lucky any again. Day. That's, that's right. I mean, that's, that's the thing about bow hunting, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, uh, no, no credit deserved there. Um, and then, yeah, L- your hunting lucky was taste similar. as good as good, right? That's true. Boy, that moose was great too. We actually had cold temps to hang it. So I hung it for a week and it was, it was really awesome meat. Best moose I've had in the freezer in, in memory. Um, so after the moose, and then hunt, well, yeah. So I uh, worked a lot in October and then I broke free in November and, uh, went back to Kodiak by myself to my usual spot and, uh, set up camp. And, um, really the first, first stock I went on, first hike I went on, I, uh, I spotted a pretty good buck. Like I was a pretty mature buck, a bigger, bigger than anything I'd seen all last year, really. And, um, uh, just guy again got lucky made a long slow stock and he was in a place it was actually i he i arrowed that buck within 20 yards of where i had killed that crypt orchid buck the year before <laughs> i knew i knew exactly how to hunt how to stock it <laughs> i'd done it before <laughs> bedded in almost the same exact spot um and so uh yeah i made a made a good stock and uh, had a nice again nice pass through shot um just uh, just missed the heart and he only went 20 yards. And then the only excitement on that one was that I had dragged him up on a little knoll to, um, to cut him up as I often do, you know, just have a little bit of a vantage point in case any four legged friends show up. <laughs> and, uh, sure enough, I, uh, I stood up just to kind of stretch my back and look around. And there was a very large, I think a sow, very large, um, brown bear, moving pretty fast in my direction straight downwind to me. And, uh, she was about, oh, probably a little under 200 yards. And I stood up and then she stood up and we had a little, little face off where we both kind of stood there trying to figure out what the other person was, what the other animal was going to do. And, uh, she made the right, the right decision for, <laughs> for both of us and took off after a little while, <laughs> but it was a, a, a tense moment. <laughs> Yikes. <laughs> 
Um, I, yeah, I saw uh, a lot of bears. Cool. It was really, it was really cool. Um, and that was a beautiful bear. I, I can send you. I got a beautiful photo of it. But um, and then uh, shortly after that, I got a bunch of snow, and it really, it almost really screwed me over. It was, it was really noisy snow. And between that and again not having like proper whites, proper snow camo, it was really tough. Honestly, it was really tough hunting. I uh, just, I would just have a perfect stock and then I'd come up over the rise and I'd just see a deer bounding away a hundred yards away. And they clearly had heard me coming despite my best efforts, but I managed, I got lucky on one more, um, one more nice buck. And I was pretty much out of time at that point. Do you wear just pure white or do you a lot this year? (laughs) (laughs) Sorry. Could have got luckier sheep (laughs) hunting. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think that's uh, important. Just sorry to interrupt, but it's important for, you know, all the the young guys listening to this and then, you know, all of us lesser men than Paul Ford to, to listen to his stories because, you know, yeah, you got, you know, got a moose and a couple deer and, you know, but you, you know, you hear about a 17 day sheep hunt and then another sheep hunt. I mean, there's a lot of days that, you know, spend out there where you don't get lucky, as he says. So anyway. Yeah. And, and that's why really why we do it, right? I mean, the yeah. best hunts are the ones where you get something the last day or nothing at all. <laughs> yeah, you get I some old hunting in. I spent about 40 days elk this year. There you go. Uh, yeah, I think yeah, uh, there you go. <laughs> I think the brown bear yeah. turning around sounds like the luckiest part of it all. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> oh man, they're 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 scared of people down there. Those bears are they have they have good good fear of humans, no question. That's yeah. good. Especially the old uh, ones. Do you do you use just pure white or do you have like white with like 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 snow camo per se, like with black blotches on it or um does that matter? I don't know. Um, I don't have anything right now that works great. On the Kodiak, I just had that same stupid windbreaker. And as long as it wasn't, uh, as long as it wasn't wet snow, it was fine. It actually worked pretty well. Um, but when it got really wet, it soaked through and looked just like those photos that I sent you. But, um, okay. when I, growing up, I hunted moose in the winter with my dad quite a bit with our bows. And he had this kind of dirty white full, he probably still has it, this one piece coverall and it had just some subtle you know kind of branches on it and if there was any kind of vegetation he would just vanish and you know it wasn't quite quite super bright you know it's kind of like slightly dirty snow and that thing was was awesome but i don't have anything like that right now well you think being a doctor you could afford to buy a snow camo jacket but maybe we can hook you up (laughs) i got got to figure something out you probably have to go to work to make money i guess though that's probably part of the problem yeah yeah, that's right yeah i had to make i had to do that that's true Uh, shoot okay one more more question before we get off the hunting stuff this is good we need we've we've had a lot of podcasts lately that are just all the the politics which is great We, we love doing it but it's nice to tell some hunting stories again um so are you, I am not a big backpack hunter. I mean, you know, we've, we've hunted elk in a few wilderness, killed a few bulls in the wilderness over the years, but I pretty much hunt off the road. So you call me a road hunter pretty much, you know, from a camp and I hike out, you know, I'm not a, sure. Yeah. We just, that's the way I've always been set up, you know, I've been, uh, yeah. I've been off. I had my third shoulder surgery here a couple of weeks ago and I've been talking to James. Oh man. 
whether to change that all up, blah, blah, blah. You know, anyway. But when I hear all these stories, like, and then I remember talking about how you use a down sleeping bag. And then I, I read all these guys, oh, you know, the, the down will get wet and then it, you know, you'll freeze and die. And then I hear you talk about shooting a moose and you're soaking wet. And then I'm picturing you crawling into your down sleeping bag. And I'm like, well, he didn't freeze and die. And he's not like a big fat guy. He doesn't have a bunch of insulation. Like, so <laughs> I, <laughs> explain. Well, I have gained works. a bit of fat, some dad, some dad fat. I'm yeah, probably well, a good dad, five or 10 pounds. <laughs> But uh, you know, I yeah, explain to me. So you're, you just shot a moose. You're, you know, you, now you, you're setting up your shelter. You're soaking wet. Like what's, what's your system? You're cold. You're shivering. You're, you're freezing. What's your system? Yeah. Yeah. So in, you know, for moose, just because of the nature of the animal, I, you know, backpack hunt only to the extent that, uh, you know, I've got to figure out, I've got to have some exit plan for the meat. So I can't go like super deep, especially if I'm by myself. Um, so this was like on a little bit of a Creek and I knew that I could float the meat down, um, to a place where I could then drag it with a kayak for a while. Um, and so I was, I had like a little base camp set up with a little pyramid shelter and, um, and yeah, you know, I came back, um, completely soaked to the bone a couple of times in a row. And, uh, I mean, honestly, I just, I try to get whatever, if I have anything remotely dry, um, I'll put that on as my base layer and then put on like above that stuff and like increasingly wet to the outward. You know what I mean? So if I have kind of a damp mid layer, I put that on over my dry ba- new dry base layer. And sometimes I don't have another base layer. And uh, usually just like the kind of, even when I'm really soaked, that kind of wind down at the end of the day of, moving around more slowly, you know, boiling water, making food, getting my gear ready for the next day, making my food for the next day or whatever. Like I'll dry out reasonably, you know, I'll be, and I'll just climb in my sleeping bag kind of damp and wet or whatever. And, uh, I'll just go to sleep and I'll wake up and I'll be a little damp in the morning. And yeah, I mean, at the end of it all, my sleeping bag's wet. I mean, it's not like you're not wringing water out of it, but it, you know, I'll lay it out to dry when I get home. But Honestly, I still believe that short of, you know, dunking it in the river and like wringing water into it from a like ounce by ounce perspective, when you're carrying on your back all the time, down's warmer than synthetic, even if you lose a lot of that insulated property by getting it damp. And do you, uh, use, do you use the new treated down stuff or is all of it treated? down? And I have one. No, it's not all. Um, I've heard different things about that, that some of the treated down stuff isn't, doesn't work quite as well. It doesn't loft quite as well. Uh, so I have a mix of different ones. Um, you know, on the sheep hunts that I did this year, I had a, um, I just had that quilt, like a 20 degree down quilt. So there's no zipper. It just goes over you and then you lay on your pad and just lays over top of you. And um, I don't think that one's treated with that one. Basically, the first thing I did when I got home from my first sheep hunt was like order a new one because that thing was so trashed. There was like hardly a down left in it. And I froze. I I was cold. I was wearing all my clothes every night. And uh, that wasn't it. But I kept it fairly dry, honestly. I kept the bag pretty dry. And then the other thing, too, you know, if you're out for a couple of weeks, inevitably, typically, you get at least sunny day now and then and just just strap it on the back of your backpack on a sunny day just strap it loosely just have it and it'll dry out pretty quickly 
Um, and so, or, you know, just lay it out. You can do that like in winter camping trips, just lay it out over your tent when you get a sunny day and things dry in a couple hours. Um, what, what brand of bags do you like? Um, I don't have any super strong allegiance to any brand. Um, but the one that I've used all different kinds over the years, but the ones that I used this year, the quilt was from enlightened equipment and, yep. uh, the sleeping bag that I used for, um, uh, for all the later hunts is a Western mountaineering. So I got it. I actually got it for a grand Canyon trip, kayak trip a couple of years ago. And, uh, it's been a really good, like late season hunting sleeping bag too. Awesome. Well, I guess I'm going to have to get five a degree. down one. I've got a, a Western Mountaineer 20 degree, 15 degree bag, and it's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love it. Yeah, and I'm and I'm really a fan of the more breathable fabrics, shell fabrics. I know they make some that are kind of windproof, waterproof. I'd rather, you know, have them, you know, breathe more easily because I often get in them when wet clothes and I'm sweaty and I'd rather that mm-hmm. moisture makes its way out of there. Um, I'm not super worried about moisture getting in from the outside. Okay. Makes sense. Man, I don't like being cold. <laughs> oh, geez. I feel cold just thinking about this. <laughs> uh, I tell you, after going to Alaska, everybody, all the guys that live in Alaska and grew up there, they're just, they're just way tougher than us, James. There's no doubt about it. Not, we, not we, true. It is a hundred percent true. We sit here and yeah. down here, and we we talk about all the time, like, dude, we live. We, okay, we're gonna go backpack through here. We're gonna live over back, and then we're like, nah, nah. <laughs> it's really cold. Like nobody does that down here. Every hunt you guys go on, for the most part, is like an expedition. And I mean, there's you just this it doesn't happen down here. You guys are tougher for sure. I did. I did go uh, uh, in uh, being of October. I went into the wilderness uh, while it was snowing, looking for elk, like October second. Um, but I couldn't find the elk, and I was so cold. I just turned around and hiked my ass out in the middle of the night so I can get back to have a, a warm camp where my heater and my big tent was. <laughs> hey, that's- but I, yeah. but elk would have kept me there, you know. Elk elk would have kept me there. I yep. would I would have worked it out. That's if what I he's found telling elk. himself. At least that's what he's telling. Yeah. Himself. See, yeah. this is exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah, but I I am planning my next. Uh, I believe I believe uh, you. If, <laughs> if I if I if I draw my deer tag in Hawaii, that's where I'm headed next. So I shouldn't have Ooh. to worry about uh, freezing my ass off. We'll see. Oh man. I got an email from Don Thomas the other day. He's down there hunting right now, I think, and fishing. Sounds awesome. Yeah. Yeah, we talked with uh, Doug Borland, actually, uh, last week. Oh, cool. Right on. Yeah, he's he's living uh, over there on Molokai right now, um, taking some time off from the great north. So, awesome. Well, uh, Very yeah, cool. you guys, I don't care... I don't care what you get, what you guys say. Bob's right. Uh, the guys from the north are just way tougher. Uh, for us, thirty degrees is uh, too cold. It's a dry cold. It's a dry wet. It's a dry rain. A dry wet. It's a dry rain. 
<laughs> and the and the bears are friendly, he said. So yeah. he's got me convinced, Bob. I'm ready to go. Friendly bears and dry. Yeah, it's, it's fine. Sign it's me up. Fine. Sign me up. <laughs> oh, man. oh, is there is there rainbows and butterflies to go along with that? So, sometimes. Jeez, that sounds great. <laughs> and a lucky uh, a lucky pot of gold at the end of every rainbow. Sounds great. Ooh, can't promise that. Awesome. Well, uh, <laughs> let's get into let's get into the serious stuff, Bob. Why don't you lead lead the way? Well, oh, do do we have time for one more hunting story? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I just I, I love to tell this story because you know it's really not that significant of an animal, I guess, to most people, but um, it is to me. <laughs> Um, I, you know, I try and go, we try and go every year down to my in-laws down in Wisconsin. And I, you know, I'm, I'm not used to the Midwest hunting and I've only been doing it for a few years now. And it's definitely a different culture there. And I have to bite my tongue a lot and there's, I I feel like I'm laughed at a lot. showing up with my longbow working my ass off to shoot a, a doe whitetail um but i you know i do it every chance i get I, I try and get down there and hunt and pretty much when we're down there the wife is visiting everybody and i'm hunting every day and uh you know the last few times i've been down there it's been tr- you know sitting in a tree stand you know, my father-in-law tells me you know kind of what the deer are doing and i watch him and try and sit wherever I think is a good spot to sit. The, the tree stand setups are set up for compounds, guns, and crossbows, and not not always the, the best for a longbow. But uh, I, I guess long story short, uh, I decided I wanted to try and shoot one from the ground. And my father-in-law and everybody else it was just, no, you can't do it, not with a bow. And I was like, well, there's these guys I know, like that are named Mike Mitten and the Wenzel brothers, and these other guys that have that have done it before. And I'm like, no, 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 you can't do it. You can't do it. And I was like, well, man, I I think you can. Um, and I was still tree stand hunting, but uh, there was a few opportunities that I took, and you know, talk about, you know, Paul was just talking about snow screwing you over, the kind of noisy kind. Uh, we got some of that kind of squeaky snow and I saw there was a deer in a food plot of some, with some standing corn feeding. And I, I, I started a stalk, man, the snow is too squeaky. And so I stopped, I backed out. And then a little bit later I saw a deer out there. I was like, man, what the hell I'm going to go. And so I spent, I don't know, probably, and about an hour moving mm, oh, close to a hundred yards, probably not quite a hundred yards, uh, into the edge of this corn and just slowly easing out there, barely putting any weight down and just slowly settling my weight and, you know, watching the deer's head. And, uh, eventually it kind of worked out and it fed in, out in front of me it oh, I don't know, 15, in between 15 and 20 yards. And I, uh, proceeded to shoot three arrows at it and 
not even come close. <laughs> but uh, it, it it was, I mean, it's, it, those Midwest whitetail are super spooky, but it, it was weird because, you know, my bow was so quiet. Uh, it didn't know what was going on for the first couple shots. And then by the third one, it was, but man, I, I was just shooting right, right over his back every time. Uh, talk about dequivering, except I carry a lot of arrows, so it takes a lot for that. But, uh, <laughs> you know, that back quiver. <laughs> but anyway, uh, a few days later, there was a deer out there in that same, same corn feeding. And I thought, man, it worked one time. I'll try it again. There was a deer on the edge like right on the edge of the woods as well. And, and so I thought, you know, I was, you gotta always take those extra eyes into consideration, but I thought that one was far enough away to where if I spooked it, it might not alert the other deer that I was going after. Cause it was just one deer that I could see in that corn. And so I started the stock and about, Oh, I don't know, like probably within a minute of me starting the stock, I couldn't see the deer anymore in that corn, but I would have been able to see it if it left. So I just kept going and it took me about an hour and a half to move a hundred yards. Just super slow. And I just kept going for the last spot. I saw that deer. And when I was about 10 yards away from that spot, I saw the corn stalks move a little bit. And I realized it was bedded right there. And I, kept easing up super slow that that snow was super squeaky i had to just ease my weight down on each foot and i was trying to imitate the sounds the squirrels were making that were you know digging around in the out there and uh when i got to seven yards i could barely see a patch of hair through the corn stalks and I got to five yards and I could see the deer. It was sleeping and I kind of squeaked the snow a little bit and it raised its head up and was looking around. I just stayed motionless. There were some corn stalks in between me and it. So it, you know, it kind of broke me up, but, um, and then it put its head back down after a while. And I, I didn't really have a, a, a shot but I, I figured if I, if I went, you know, uh, I guess behind me, if I stepped back just half a step, I'd have a shot through some corn stalks. And so I did, when I did that, it heard me again and it raised its head. I mean, I mean, these are very subtle sounds. I was being super careful, but it, I mean, it can still pick up that, that little bit of sound. So it raised its head again. And, uh, it was kind of looking around and when its eye went behind a, uh, uh, a corn stalk, I just gripped it and ripped it <laughs> at five yards in its bed. And it ran off, you know, I, it ran about 50 yards to the edge of woods and, and fell over dead. And, uh, I don't know, that, it's just a white tailed doe, but that's one of the, one of my favorite ones ever. I did it on the ground spot and stock when everybody said I couldn't. That's awesome. <laughs> That's awesome, That's awesome. man. Sounds kind of like a really fun, fun stock. Yeah. Process. So. Very cool. And sounds very yummy. It was. <laughs> it is. I still got 
lots of meat in the freezer. Jeez, well, you guys are doing good. Uh, fortunately for me, my my daughter uh, uh, did good with her rifle this year and knocked down an elk and and a uh, blacktail buck. Uh, otherwise, uh, I would just be resorted to beef only. I'm not as good as you guys. Well, see that? I'm gonna have to take that. That's why. That's why I stopped rifle hunting because I have my wife, my mom, my sister friends that all hunt with rifles still so i figure i can afford to not not get anything and we'll still have some meat <laughs> yeah. yeah very cool very cool um man i can't I, we're gonna have to go up to alaska bob we have to share a camp with these guys eventually it's gonna have to happen come on up yeah i'll do it your warm clothes I'm not going with Paul. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going with Paul. Why, why does I'll everybody with, say that? I'll go with Mike. Story. It sounds like he's got a dog. He's, you know, he's got a nice vest. I don't know. And, you know, bat, lots I of like arrows sound, and stuff. Sounds I good. like the sound of Paul's heated tent that he camps in. That sounds good to me. The What does he call it? What is your heat, heater tent you have? Oh, the Arctic, Arctic oven. Yeah, that's, a, that's for Arctic oven. your hunting that's season some, only. Yeah. Okay. That sounds good. Arctic oven. Put me in the oven. I like it. I've got yeah. a wood stove for my teepee. It's, yeah. It's just Ooh. insulated. He doesn't bring us. It doesn't have a stove. It's just insulated. So. Yeah. No, the Arctic oven. I carry a little propane, a uh, little propane heater to Kodiak. No. That's Kodiak. Not late season. Not a backpacking hunt. That's just a. Um, yeah, you're getting dropped off you know, the plane. Yeah. So yeah. Take a little couple luxuries. Oh yeah, it's I'll good living. It's like it's yeah. Okay, thanks, Mike. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to draw that that occluding the sheep tag. I've been trying to draw it every year. So <laughs> yeah, same here. If you get it, if you get it, let me. I'll help you if you want. It. <laughs> uh, misery loves company. All right, we're having fun, but we're almost an hour, and we better talk about the important stuff. So, yeah, let's do that. Lead the way, Bob. Lead the way. What proposals are going on up there, guys? What do we need to uh, alert everybody? What's happening? All right, so yeah, we're we're a little bit you know behind schedule getting info out as usual. Life is crazy, but um, this this is the uh, as far as the the board of game process goes for Alaska board of game meets every year, uh, based on a specific region. But this year there's also the statewide regulations, which are pretty important. And this is where the, you know, you guys have been putting a lot of stuff out and talking a lot about the, the technology, the equipment uh, side of things. And, and this is where it, this is where it hits us is, is this cycle where they, you know, they do the statewide regulations. Um, and we've got two proposals to allow crossbows in the archery season for anyone. Uh, currently, you can already get a methods and means exemption uh, if you're disabled, which, you know, not necessarily the best thing either, but that's already a thing up here, but they're they're trying to, to get crossbows in there's two proposals to get crossbows in for 
everyone during the rifle or the archery season. Um, there's also two proposals in to allow range finding sites on bows that automatically adjust for you. Um, you know, you just put basically put the the reticle on the animal and it and it and it ranges it and moves it to where it needs to be and you know uh, takes takes away the the human component of it. Um, and, uh, those, those are the, the main two equipment, uh, proposals. Um, other than there is, there is a proposal to allow the use of it. You know, it, it says air guns, but in the verbiage underneath it, it includes air bows. And this is not to, it's not a proposal to, allow air bows into archery seasons, but it is to allow them, uh, they're not currently legal at all. And it's to allow them in just as a, a viable means of, of take. And we all know what that does. It opens the door, uh, later on down the road, just like they're trying to do with the crossbows. Um, so that's, that's, uh, the equipment side of things. And there's also, we we've been fighting this we've been trying to get these archery sheep seasons and it just it hasn't happened the 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 regional meeting they just had they they uh they didn't go for any of the proposals which just blew my mind because uh a few of them were pretty um they they just made sense and one of the things they keep bringing up is there's and, and and Paul can speak a lot to this because he has the experience, but there's uh, there there's a, a a law in place right now that's date specific August 10th to September 20th that you're not allowed to use an airplane to spot sheep and then go and hunt those sheep. So. Uh, regardless of if, if you're hunting them or not, you're not allowed to use an airplane to go around and look at sheep. Now that's very hard to enforce and there's a lot of controversy around it, but, uh, basically they use that, that, uh, regulation against any additional archery seasons because these additional archery seasons we try to get are outside of those set dates for that regulation. So then they tell us, I, I heard it was crazy to me. I heard at the last board of game meeting, I was sitting there listening and and they were saying, Oh, well, some elite longbow hunter is going to be able to fly around and spot a sheep and then land and go kill it. And I was thinking, you got it. You're crazy. <laughs> you, you try and do it. But, uh, they, they use that against, any additional archery opportunity because it would fall outside of those dates. Even though there's currently hunts that fall out, uh, doll sheep hunts that fall outside those dates. There's a youth hunt. There's a few, uh, uh, draw hunts that fall outside of those dates, but they never mention those. Don't they have um, late hunts? Don't they have late hunts on pioneer peak and stuff that go into October? Uh, yes, they do. Um, uh, there's a few late hunts and, uh, yeah. and they don't, they don't mention those of course, but, yeah. and, and some of these, and we have advisory committees. There's, I think 84 advisory committees in the state. Um, and, uh, a lot of these advisory committees have used that same reason. Oh, well, they'd be able to fly and spot sheep. 
but there's two advisory committees and at least one other private party that has put proposals in this for this statewide regulation to uh, repeal that regulation uh, about flying and spotting sheep altogether to get rid of it. And they've, they've all got their reasons, you know, like it's not enforceable and, and, you know, several other reasons for it, but, uh, uh, it, it's kind of hypocritical of, of them. But, um, yeah. anyway, there's a proposal in that, that I wrote personally to change that verbiage to get, a, get, to do away with those set dates and just have it apply to any time there's a sheep season in, in that specific area. Yeah. Um, and what that would do is they wouldn't take have away that, excuse that anymore. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I mean, it makes sense because, and, and I, I've never hunted sheep with a bow or at all, really. Um, I, you know, I want to, I keep applying for special tags for it. Uh, but Paul has, has the experience and he knows a lot more about, um, you know, what, what the capabilities of, of people in aircraft are and, he can speak more to that, but uh, I think it's important that they they look at that proposal. And um, I mean, yeah, maybe they'll go with one of the uh, ones to repeal that regulation, but I don't see how they can after they literally just used it as an excuse to not approve some of our other, you know, proposals for archery. <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, Paul can speak probably more to that. Uh, the, the aircraft thing. Yeah. I mean, I, in, in short, I totally agree with Mike. I think that at the very minimum and you know, there's like, so I guess there's two things here. There's a philosophical or kind of like moral ethical part. And then there's like what we're actually trying to do with the, the proposals. And um, what we're actually trying to do with the proposals is support Mike's proposal to, make it so that you can't do any aerial scouting while there's a sheep season going on. And that seems to me like that's like the true, the true ethos or principle behind the, the current existing uh, aerial scouting ban, which starts when the traditional opener of the season is. And I think it doesn't make any sense that it could, a, it could be used as an excuse to not allow one of these additional seasons and B, that they should make any exceptions for certain things like youth hunts or bow hunts to allow aerial scouting. I think it's, it takes away from the, the essence of what mountain hunting is all about. And, uh, you know, as someone who has hunted sheep and goats quite a bit, I mean, it is, in my opinion, it's a completely different game. It's a completely different activity hunting a known, if you know there's a legal ram in a particular valley, it is a vastly different undertaking than if you're if you put your backpack on it and go out in the mountains and uh and look for an animal or or even if you put in the time early season and did a bunch of backpacking around and found your animal and you know you're going to come back to to me that's very very different than getting in a plane and covering hundreds or <laughs> thousands of square miles um I, it's just a completely different thing and i wholeheartedly agree with Mike. Um, I think the other thing that's important to point out here that we all know inherently when we're talking about these sheep hunting regulations is that while I'm all for subsistence and hunting and the ability for people to be able to feed their families as wild game, and I think those opportunities should always exist 
for moose and caribou and deer. I don't think that where we sit right now with our sheep and goat populations, it's reasonable to say that everybody should have the easy path to filling their freezer with sheep or goat meat. I mean, they should be hard. They should be hunts there for an adventure. And we keep chipping away at making them hard by doing things like, like allowing aerial scouting or just like you guys have talked about with a lot of your bow hunting proposals in other parts of the country, why letting technology make things easier by allowing for, you know, 400, 500, whatever, even, you know, 300 yard shots with guns. I mean, you're, you're changing, you're changing the very essence of what you're doing out there by allowing those things. And the, the aerial scouting is just a no brainer to me. And I think Mike's proposal, Mike, what proposal number is that one? Give me a second. I'll pull it up here. Oh yeah. Sorry. I think that that aerial uh, hunting proposal is, is, a, is a critical one, both for the ethos of hunting and to to allow for our bow hunting proposals to, to be more popular. Yeah, so that proposal number is uh, 138. And for any listeners that are going to jump on and and write uh, written comments or call in. I'll, I'll give all the information on how to do that. But uh, there's basically two uh, two ways, and I would suggest doing both um, to uh, to submit your comments to board a game. You can submit them, uh, submit written comments. Uh, there's a deadline for that, but then you can also sign in for to call in uh, during the meeting and uh, and and give your comments as well. And uh, it's it's super important to actually cite the proposal numbers mm-hmm. because uh, a, a lot of confusion can happen if if you don't. And because the board of game, they don't necessarily know what what some of these things are. like. What, the last board of game meeting, I know we got the information out super last minute, and there was a lot there was a lot of people that commented in about that traditional uh, archery hunt for doll sheep uh, proposal. A lot of good, you know, comments came in, uh, written comments, but the majority of them didn't actually cite the proposal number, so they got put in a, a separate portion of the comments book, uh, which the Board of Games still looks at, but they don't necessarily know what a trad hunt is. If someone cites, oh, hey, I think it would be great to have a trad hunt, they don't know what that means. Uh, I'm pretty convinced that none of the Board of Game members are bow hunters at all, you know, even compounds. So, um, it's super important to actually cite the proposal number so they have something to go off of. So that, you know, that proposal for, uh, restricting the aircraft use, not just during those specific dates, but during any sheep season, uh, to spot, uh, doll sheep, uh, that, that proposal number is, uh, 138 and I'll give all the proposal numbers and we'll put them out uh, on social media as well. And, and as 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 well as the uh, instructions on how to comment, but it's super important to cite the proposal number. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right. Yeah, we'll have to we'll have to write that all out or something. You know, give the guys a little more more of a defined heads up. We're kind of all learning at the same time here. <laughs> yeah, and I'll I'll, I'll yeah. send you guys all this stuff after this. I mean, I'll send you. Part uh, of- Part of the importance is like, like Mike was kind of saying, like, 
if you just comment in and say, you know, support the proposal, you know, proposals about, you know, flying during sheep season. Well, there's one that says we don't want any being able to scout at all for any sheep season. And there's another proposal in by somebody else that wants to get rid of that rule. So <laughs> it, it's very important specifically to, you know, because there's a lot of proposals going on at the same time. Am I correct, Mike? Right, exactly. And, and yeah, cite the proposal number and your opposition or support for it. And then, and then go into your reasons why, but make sure it's clear that this is the number and either you support or oppose it. I'm writing that down. So don't forget. All right. Okay, so we got range finding. They're trying to allow basically range finding sites and crossbows in the archery seasons. Yes, and that's four separate proposals. There's there's two proposals for the crossbow. Okay. And there's two proposals for the uh the range finding sites. They're from different people. Uh the way the well, the process works in Alaska is during the the call for proposals. Anybody can write a proposal, and um, so two people submitted uh, crossbow, uh, you know, proposals to allow crossbows, and two people uh, submitted proposals to allow the range finding sites, which you know most guys I think use those as compounds, and even even Pope and Young doesn't. Uh, condone range finding sites for, you know in their uh, definition of fair chase um, yeah well there's only yet, it, it, yet. yeah i think there's only yeah, eight, yeah. So, eight and, states where they're not legal well and it, it goes against the whole principle of like in alaska we're we're behind everybody else we don't have the same long archery seasons that a lot of other states have and we're trying to get some of those but if we keep making it easier to take game with archery equipment, yeah. it, it kind of get, it kind of negates our argument. We we keep arguing that archery equipment is less effective, so that's why we should be able to have these longer seasons. But then we've got some people that are like, you know, we want extra technology to make us more effective, and they use the guys in some of these proposals. They write they they use the guise of ethics to get their point across. They try and say, oh, well, with a site that ranges for us and and automatically moves uh, moves our site to where it needs to be, we're going to make a more ethical shot. Well, how about using your brain and saying, hey, I don't have time to, to make a good shot here. I'm just not going to shoot. You know, that's... Yeah, that's it's, it's a. They try the same stuff here when we do the proposals for the traditional. It's a. It, for me, I don't even go down that road. I just it's so. It, all the all that's going to do is make them shoot further, and further, and further. I mean, it's just common sense. It's just, it's just crazy to me. But yeah, it's a, that's a tough one, man. I mean, pretty soon, and that's that's the problem with all these. Like our argument, you know, of of. 
being able to use archery season as a additional opportunity that's going to have no effect on the, you know, populations, no biological impact is going out the window, you know. Right. And yeah, I know uh, out here on the on the uh, in west down here in the lower 48, you know, the we're just to the point where it's like let them have all the technology in the world they want. You can't fight it. Like let them have it. Let's just adjust the seasons uh, accordingly, and let's not um, and let's let guys that are willing to use a lesser weapon have the appropriate season that uh, fits that technology. I, I think that's the future. At least that's you know how we see it. Yeah, would I mean, you say still, that? Obviously, we're still fighting the crossbows hard. I mean, we're not saying like let yeah. everything in. God no. But all the all the regulation stuff that you know they tried to stop with the all that stuff over those years it just finally got i mean i think idaho's about to lose out on lighted knocks and mechanical broadheads and they were we just lost that battle a few years ago and it's like that's kind of the last big one standing you know obviously we got the range finding sites still are illegal here but that'll be next you know and it's it's it never yeah ends, so. i mean pope and young it, it never it, ends they're yeah, yeah they're they're they They'll be like, oh, you know, if you look at their track record, um, they draw the line in the sand and then they move it. They draw a line in the sand and then they move it. So, yeah. I mean, they're they're not even industry a does a lot. Yeah. Yes. Indus, industry driven. pushes a lot. M- money yeah. is and, the root of all evil. Oh, absolutely. And and those so for the crossbows, those proposals are one oh one. And one two five, one twenty five, um, and you guys have it in your email I sent you. But uh, yeah, one hundred one and one twenty five for the crossbow proposals, and these are to allow crossbows in the archery season. These need to be opposed. And any listeners that are in states where it's legal now, write in comments or call in and and give examples of why it sure. doesn't work and what the negatives are, right? If you're in Michigan, yeah. Wisconsin, um, you know, Arkansas, Tennessee, wherever, wherever the States are that they've allowed crossbows into the archery season, call in during the meeting or, or write your comments, uh, by this Friday and submit them in, uh, you know, giving your experience and and why it's why it's a negative, especially for us up here where we're just trying to get more archery seasons. We don't have that that many uh, archery only opportunities, and and uh, crossbows in the archery season will totally yeah. screw that that whole idea. So so please get you know even if you're in a state that it's legal, please let them know why it shouldn't be up here. Okay, so just for guys listening, maybe if they're not on the Instagram and where we do all our posts tomorrow and stuff about that. So we got 138's a no-fly rule that you wrote, so you want to support that. And 101 and 125 are the two crossbow ones. We want to oppose those. And then the range-finding sites, do you got those? Are you looking, Mike? I do. Um, so those ones are 123 and 124. And those are both oppose allowing range finding sites. 
And it, are yep. those and you know, are the Arabo ones tied into that, or is that a separate one? Uh, well, that's a separate proposal, and 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 the way it reads, it almost like if you at a quick glance, just you just assume that they're trying to just allow air rifles as a means of take during the general seasons, but they actually have air bows in there as well. And that's just a, that right now wouldn't affect archery seasons, yeah. but it could in the future. Um, and that proposal is, uh, let me see here. That is 127. Okay, 127. Air bows during rifle seasons. Uh, there's there's also a proposal, and there's a couple proposals in for uh, changing the draw weight uh, requirements. I wrote one of them. It's really the one I wrote. Kind of, you know, if they take it, they take it. If they don't, they don't. Um, but the other one is uh, actually would um, this one in particular would raise the draw weight requirements based on the fact, and, and they they state in their in their proposal that. Uh, that a, a handmade wooden longbow doesn't have the efficiency as, you know, say a compound, which is true, but we already have a 50 pound requirement for the bigger of the big game in Alaska. We don't need to go higher than that. And this, this would, uh, this would call for a 55 pound minimum, which I shot my muskox with a 52 pound bow. And this would change that, uh, you know, a string follow longbow too, by the way. Um, this would, Outlaw. this proposal would change, would, yeah, would make that, would make it to where I, I wouldn't have been able to do that. And I think I got a pass through on that if I'm not, if I remember that right. Um, and, uh, I can give you that proposal number yep. as well. That yep. one would be an oppose. Um, let me see if I can find that one. Well, uh, Give me a second. I got to flip through all these. Yeah. So, I mean, if this bores you guys, if you guys love bow hunting, this stuff matters. If you don't, haven't been to Alaska, uh, but you plan to, or you may think you never, uh, you know, like, I think we all need to support each other and help, uh, you know, from one bow hunter to the next, um, all this politics that, that we're always talking about it. Gosh, I can't, how important it is it's just it's so important so that our kids and our and our grandkids uh will get to hunt you know with a primitive weapon and, and have an opportunity to pursue wild things in wild places yeah, yeah and, I, and james i really i really appreciate you guys put like all the other states you guys have put stuff out about it's it's been great um because how else would some of us know that you know, aren't in, you know, we might hunt there someday or we might have friends that, that hunt in those places, but we might not know about uh, what's going on there. So it's, it's yeah, great that you I guys mean, put that out. Even, even in some of the, um, the East coast, Midwest states that have so many deer, uh, you know, that the car insurance companies are getting involved and everything else. You still talk to those guys and that the, the the crossbow and the modern technology is putting uh, so much pressure on the prime habitat that the uh, hunting experience has been compromised. And so there's always room for, uh, to create, and we're not saying that we're going to get rid of all this stuff, 
you know, it's, it's always, let's make room for a season, a, a, uh, a unit, an area where a guy can get away from that. I mean, look at the fly fishing community. They've got their own stretches of rivers and, and waters uh, almost in every state where they have a chance to participate in a more primitive uh, take or, uh, or fishery. Um, and that, that's just really at the end of the day, you know, we, we pound this drum and pound this drum uh, about traditional archery opportunities. Uh, but th- that's all it is about. Like we're not against rifle hunters or compound hunters or even guys that want to use crossbows or, or arrows or whatever you want to call them. But it's just uh, about uh, uh, giving a guy a chance uh, to hunt with a primitive weapon and, and not have to deal with uh, um, the guys that want, some guys just want to go hunting for two days a year, get meat and, and uh, go back to watching football. There's nothing wrong with that. Like, that's awesome. But there's guys well, like and, and some guys that might want around and Yeah, some guys might want to be like, "Hey, you know, I want to try this this weapon out, whether it be a air rifle or a or a crossbow or or what have you. They might want to do that. Go for it. But don't compromise what we've gained with archery seasons. That you know, there's right. a reason we we established those to begin with we we don't want to lose that and and we are losing yeah. it we've seen it yeah and i'm not just with crossbows yeah. with technology added at a rapid rate compounds weren't even right and compounds weren't even a thought when these archery seasons were first established you know the first ones um and yeah. the more technology is uh has entered the 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 archery world the bow hunting world uh, the less opportunity, uh, uh, or the more opportunity we've lost. And, you know, yeah, you know, and, and I guess, in, you know, in Oregon, you can't use a crossbow at all, but in most of these States, you can use a crossbow during the, the rifle season. Honestly, probably nobody uses it during the rifle season because they're just going to use a rifle. But if you really wanted to use a crossbow well, that found, bad, you can do it. They found their way into our seats. They've used, they've found their way into archery seasons in many of the lower 48 states. Uh, oh, absolutely. Um, I know absolutely. Michigan, 32. Wyoming. 32. 32. Yeah. yeah. So, and it has yeah. a, it has an impact. For sure. And we it just does, dodge for it. sure. It seems like we dodge it every year. You know, every state is just battling. Montana, We're, you know, we, that comes to legislation, you know, last couple times and it's like, Luckily, we got some people that say no, and you know, like it, we dodge it from coming to the table. But we're we're really fortunate that that we're proactive to to keep that out. I think we're the last state that doesn't have it in any shape or form, and we're also one of few states that uh, uh, celebrates uh, traditional archery, and we have opportunities to go. Uh, you know, it's it's not as many as we'd like, but we have opportunities here in the state to go on deer and elk um, and, and have tags that uh, are set aside for traditional archery. And um, it's, it's something that, uh, you know, we're going to continue to pound the drum and, and fight for because um, uh, it, it has value. Yeah, and, and honestly, you know, when I first started listening to you guys way back when you started – um, I didn't know what to think about all this hype about traditional seasons, traditional areas. 
and the the more I've been involved in this this whole process and seeing seeing how things have been going, I hope there's a a major um, uh, just a, awareness brought to people, and I hope there's a switch where where people realize that there's something to this because it's it's just not bow hunting isn't bow hunting anymore to me. I you know that what I see is not what the pioneers of modern bow hunting in America saw. No, I was, I've been, uh, like yeah. I said, I've been sitting around for weeks, what am I, two and a half weeks after my surgery. So I watched a lot of YouTube day and night. <laughs> and <laughs> I tell James, like, I'm like, I, like about a week ago, like I, I started watching the rifle hunting. YouTube videos because the all the bow hunting ones were just it's just like man this is it, it was just like such a so off putting I, I don't know it was just weird I, I was told him I was like man I'm getting more enjoyment out of watching these guys it's like later season they're out there tough guys like Paul snow in the snow backpacking around I'm like this is awesome so yeah it's it's definitely yeah the uh, the, the squeaky wheel gets fast. the gets the grease. The squeaky wheel gets the yeah, and it's, you know, that's I feel like we're at a big turning point here. Like we are, honestly, in our time. Like we are. You know, like said, like you said, when we first started, like most people were like, "What the what the hell are James and Robert? These guys are a bunch of Nazis." And then, like, you know, if we don't get a bunch of guys together to stand up right now in the next five or ten years and make this a thing, then it'll just go away. Like the. Because yeah. what's going to happen in the next 20 years? I mean, just think about that with with yeah, the technology. The you don't get a bunch of guys that stand yeah. Not just traditional bow hunters. I'm talking guys like Travis Hobbs, like we had on, like guys that are like, man, we need to put the hunt back in hunting. We gotta. We don't need yeah, a trail camera on every tree. We don't need a 1,000-yard rifle. Yeah. We don't need a 500-yard muzzleloader. I just want to go hunt, man. I want to grab my rifle and go track a buck in the snow, you know, or whatever. Like, we got to get back to that or we're going to – it's gonna. It, it's not just a loss of opportunity. Not, it just makes it for the rich. Like then the rich guys get yeah. to buy all the tags, and we got to wait to draw them mm-hmm. at once in a lifetime. It's just a mess. So yeah, it's that's not sustainable. Cents. Yeah, it's not sustainable. That's for sure. And um, if it was, we would. You know, if if we just had uh, enough uh, wildlife to go around for everyone, and we can use, you know, uh, missile launchers and fire them from our bedrooms <laughs> uh um you know that would be one yeah. thing but that's 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 not the the real world that we live in and um and i i think there's appropriate seasons for for all the weapons and um yeah it's it, I, I i keep saying that because i don't want people to be misunderstood we're not we're not yeah. fighting to to against other hunters we're not looking to take the joy out of uh what you what you or your cousin or your grandpa or your, or your auntie uh, enjoys out of hunting or their version of it. Um, we just want to preserve uh, this thing that was called bow hunting, where we uh, use woodsmanship skills and we practice with our bows year-round so we can get close to a, our uh, our game. And, and um, you know, that's it's uh, it, it was a thing and, and it could be a thing again. We just need to preserve it, and and I think that most guys get it. You know, even guys that use a lot of tech, um, you, when you sit down and talk to them about it, a, a lot of guys get it. 
Well, awesome, man. Yeah, we beat it up every podcast. Any, anything else you guys want to go over on the Alaska stuff? We'll make sure to blow up the Instagram tomorrow. I'll try to get this thing out. I'm, I'm not even going to edit any of it probably because I got to get it out. So, uh, yeah. Any, anything and, else? Uh, Mike, maybe you can, you can go over real quick. Um, how to, how to sign up to talk at the meeting here coming up. Yeah. So there's, we're, we're, we're running right up against it for the written comment deadline. The written comment deadline is midnight Alaska time on this coming Friday, February 18th. So, okay. um, if you, you know, I, I really hope anybody that listens to this before that deadline. I'm sure there's some that are going to listen to it after, but anybody that listens to this before that deadline really should get on there and, and, uh, I'll, I'll help Bob and James, uh, get, you know, with the link so that, you know, we can get, we can get it out to everybody. Um, it, it, the Alaska Department of Fishing Game website is kind of hard to, to navigate when it comes to, that specific and, you know, getting to that, uh, comment portion, but the, the written comments are super important. The 18th midnight Alaska time is the deadline. Um, but if, if you, you're not an Instagrammer and you're listening to this, um, go to Alaska's, their website and try to figure out, do you have any tips on how they can navigate yep, through there? Yep. So you go to the last department of fishing game and you, uh, go to the menu and it's under regulations and there's, you know, a drop down menu from regulations and go to boards and there's board of game, board of fisheries, all that stuff. Go to board of game and click on board of game and within board of game, you should be able to find, uh, the link to submit comments and uh please cite the proposal numbers and you know if you support or, or oppose them and then you know as educated of a you know argument of why um super important uh and and then as far as uh you know the link you know we'll get the link out there to whoever is able to to use that um and, and the same same thing applies. Please cite the proposal number, support, oppose, uh, and, and then write your thoughts. And then aside from that, you can sign up, and, and the slots will fill up. So it's important to sign up as soon as possible. But you can sign up to actually testify remotely during the meeting. And the way that works is we'll put that link out too, but it, the same process if you don't have Facebook or Instagram or, or any way to, to get this link. Uh, you, you go through the same process, go to the, you know, through the website to board a game and, um, within the board of game, you, you should be able to find that, that spot to, uh, to sign up to testify remotely. And, um, it's, I think Friday the 4th through Sunday the 6th. Um, of March is, is when that is. And I would hope that everybody that, that, uh, that can would submit their written comments 
and sign up for that uh, that uh, remote testifying. That that you know verbal testimony makes a huge difference. From what I saw from the last meeting, and, and it's right before they go into deliberation, so it's fresh in their mind. Uh, it's it's really important. Do you so think even even for a non-resident, you think it's uh, yes, okay. absolutely yes. So. They they actually talked about that. Part of their agenda in the last meeting was to talk about uh, how they're going to do the remote testimony, and and one of the board of game members actually was was advocating to exclude non residents, and the rest of the board, you know, they, they all concluded that you know that was not a that was not an option because these proposals affect non residents, and non residents have um, they have insight into some of these things, you know, and they have, uh, viable opinions. So, uh, it, it doesn't matter if you're a non-resident or not, especially if you have uh, personal experience with some of this stuff, like the crossbows. Um, it, it's, it's just super important to get, to get, uh, to get it in there. And, and they, they actually do consider how many, uh, people are, you know, they, they, they might not, they still might not go with it, but they do consider, how much of the public is supporting or opposing a certain proposal. So yeah. it, it is super important. Um, but uh, you can sign up, you know, as soon as possible so that those slots don't fill up. But uh, um, yeah, sign, either, you know, for Friday, uh, Saturday, and Sunday, March 4th through 6th, and there, there are certain deadlines. They, they do have deadlines for those signups which are usually, I think, the day before in the morning. You have to be signed up uh, for it. Okay. But uh, it's, it's best to get signed up right away. I'm, I'm probably going to be there in person. It's up in Fairbanks. Um, but uh, when you say the 4th, 5th, and 6th, is it? do they know when each proposal is going to be, you know, are you signing up for the, the 6th or the 5th or, you know what I mean? Do you know which? So, they're not deliberating three days they're no they're not deliberating on the proposals until after all of the public testimony is done oh okay so so it's all like those three days are just for public testimony okay um so you and and you you can sign up and talk about whichever so you can sign up for the sixth and talk about three different proposals all at once. Yep. Okay. Yep. And, and you've only got five minutes. They limit you yeah. to five minutes. So, okay. uh, you, you want to kind of have your ducks in a row and, um, talk about whatever proposal numbers they are. But, um, yeah, uh, you can talk about all the proposals you want to talk about. They don't start deliberations until after the public testimony is over. Okay. All right. Yeah. Get signed okay. up. Okay. Awesome. Paul, do you have anything to conclude? Oh, I just want to throw out a plug um, for the, I think the proposals that are most important to me personally are the ones to give an early sheep season for archery. And uh, I think that both as residents and non-residents, I think those could create a really cool opportunity to hunt sheep uh, in a way that you wouldn't be exposed to the, the, the crowds and more importantly, just like the hazard, um, it's a story for another time, but I got, I've been, I, I got shot at this year, um, 
not uh, stalking a sheep, stalking a caribou by a, by a group of rifle hunters in a pretty remote area. And I feel like it's pretty likely to happen sheep hunting someday. Um, so I think just from the safety standpoint and just from the uh, opportunity for us to hunt sheep in a way that uh, in a way that would be much more enjoyable and very low impact on the resource. So uh, are, the, are the archery sheep season proposals still on the table or are they not on the table? They're not. This is still about, they're, they, they're, are they are completely gone now after this one? Uh, for, yeah, well, yeah. So those were for the, this last meeting that just happened and, and none of them. And I, I'm actually shocked because there was a lot of them and there were some that I thought were, you know, going to be pretty middle of the road, uh, you know, for the, for the board, none of them got, got approved. Um, and, oh, and we're I not going to stop that. I thought, I, I thought we had the chance to potentially defend some of them again, but we don't. Is that right, Mike? No, not, not this time, but, but with, with the, with that, the, you know, the, this whole aerial thing we've been talking about, that proposal to, yeah. to get rid, uh, to get rid of those dates and just make it, uh, you know, during any sheep season, that's going to set us up for every additional year that we do this. Right. Because that's one right, of the right. main reasons that, that, that they use against us. So, um, so we need so to yeah, open, for this year, open that door. Yep. Yeah. For this year, uh, you know, we, we lost the, the proposal. We did gain some, you know, we, we did gain some, uh, some archery opportunity. We got a slightly longer early moose season and, and, uh, we got, we're able to actually use archery equipment on beavers now in some areas, but, uh, that, that's well, all we got. So, um, well, that's, so that's important. Continue. Yeah. We'll go through beaver hunting. Yeah. That's important though. This is not a, this is, this is definitely, um, not a sprint. It's a marathon. And, uh, you know, sometimes, you know, I know me and Bob, uh, you know, we've had some frustrating times in these meetings, especially Bob and I helped pick him up, but we're, we're, we're moving forward inch by inch. And that, that's what it takes. You, you gotta, you've got to get these ideas out to them. And even if they don't, aren't accepted, you know, in whatever state and whatever proposals you have in it, it's, it's getting it out to the mainstream and getting them to hear these ideas and getting them to think and chew on these ideas. And, um, they, they'll come around to it, um, especially uh, with the, the climate. So, um, you know, we just all got to keep uh, pumping each other up and, and keep the, the good fight on for sure. So um, each little thing leads leads to another. So that's my take on it. Agreed. All right. Well, thanks, awesome, you guys. Awesome, thanks fellas. For- Thanks for getting involved up there. Thanks for putting in all the time. Thanks for spending hours on the phone with us. Hopefully it'll yeah. pay off someday um, and we'll be up at the top of the mountain eating freezing our hot dogs. Balls off. Snow in our face. Yeah. <laughs> wet sleeping yeah. bag. Yeah. I, I yeah. do have one I do have I do have one ahead, more Mike. thing. Uh so uh whenever you know, I, I, I'm the legislative vice president for the Alaskan Bowhunters Association. So, uh, I, I have to, you know, I go up to the board of game and I, I give the comments on behalf of the, uh, organization. And one thing they, they want to know every time an organization gives their comments is, is how many members they have. And they, you know, they weigh that. And, uh, so, 
if you're not a member of the Glass and Bowhunters Association, um, then you know, and you want to support uh, bow hunting opportunity in Alaska, it'd be a good idea to join. It's only, I think, it's thirty five dollars a year. But the more numbers we have, the more numbers I can I can give to the board of game and say, hey, this this many of our members, um, or this is how many members we have, and and uh, this is our. Um, uh, th- this is this is what what our members want, and this is uh, this is can, in the best interest can, of bow hunting in Alaska. Can non can non residents join that? Absolutely, Carson Brown was a was a member until he let his uh, membership lapse. But um, <laughs> okay, all right, Slacker <laughs> Carson, calling you out. All right, all right. Well, awesome. Um, I want to apologize. Uh, to Paul and Mike for us not getting this information out to our listeners sooner. Um, we will do a better job in the future to get you guys more up to date and give you a chance to participate. Um, I want to speak of Carson Brown, uh, thank Carson and Sherwood Shafts for supporting the podcast along with Andy Ponce at Addictive Archery, Riley Savage at Archery's Pass. Um, we got a, Big banquet coming up in Reno with uh, Professional Bowhunter Society. Um, don't know if I'm going to make it there, but I'm going to try my best. Uh, as always, support our national traditional archery organization, Compton Traditional Bowhunters. Um, yeah, uh, I don't know if I'm leaving it on anyone. If I am, I, I, I apologize. Uh, as always, keep the wind in your face. Pick a spot and shoot straight and support bow hunting. My head is full of wanderlust, my quiver is full of hope. I've got the urge to walk the prairie and chase the antelope. Aspen's gold on snow-capped peaks, the elk call me away. Can't keep my mind on working on this fine September day. I've got Nimrod neurosis, longbows on the brain. I'm an outdoor junkie through and through, hunts my middle name. My eyes are on the target, broadheads all fly true. Can't wait till I can get outside so I can fling a few.
Thank you.